You know, uh, you know when you're out surfing? Most of the time when you go surfing, uh, you're not surfing, you're waiting to surf, right? You're, you're sitting out there uh, right on the break point and, uh, and you're watching the water. And you're waiting, you're waiting for the, the right wave to come, you know, the one that you can actually ride, the one that is in the right place. And then the wave comes and you do nothing but just sort of cruise with it, right? No, of course not. Uh, when, you, when you see the signs of the wave coming, when you, when you read you know, that, that swell heading toward you, uh, then you lie down on the board and you paddle uh, as hard as you can. And, and if you don't work, you don't catch the wave. And I feel like that's, uh, you know, surfing is, is of course the ultimate spiritual symbol. Yeah, sure. Life with God is often like that, you know. I mean, is it, is it waiting for God to to make a move? Is it waiting for God to send, you know, uh, a big move of the Spirit, to send the wave, to send the revival? Or is it working really hard uh, to serve God? Well, I mean, really, life is partnership with God, isn't it? I mean, He sends the power, and you really have to work hard to catch it and make the most of it. And somehow in that process, in that dynamic, we become who we are. You know, it's, it's half waiting for God, but it's a lot working with God. Uh, so let's spend 30 seconds at the beginning uh, of what will be a short sermon, uh, just waiting for God, just seeing if you can, you can sense the swell coming uh, in, in your life. All right? Just, just close your eyes, and we're just going to wait for the Lord to send the power. Go. All right, paddle. Amen. I, uh, I often face a fair bit of uh, chaos in life. Is it just me or anyone else sense that sometimes? You know, I wake up in the day and, uh, and my first thought isn't, oh, what a glorious day. And my first thought is, now what do I have to get done? Uh, because there are, just, there are always a, a, a zillion things uh, and so, so, so various are the challenges uh, that face me in any given day that, uh, that it helps me to have a little ritual for getting started. So typically, this is how I start my day. Uh, one, I, I get up and I, I, walk, I walk to the kitchen in my underwear. Is this too much information already? Are you following? Everybody cool? Too much information. Uh, I, I drink a cup of water at the sink. And then I set the coffee to brewing. This is an important step. Uh, and then I usually feed the animals because they're all, you know, gathered around and meowing at me and whining at me f for their food. So I feed the cats and the dog. And, uh, and then I typically go get dressed, which is good. Uh, and then I grab uh, my first mug of coffee for the day. And then, and then with, uh, with my dog, uh, I go out into uh, the backyard garden. And I usually, you know, check on my, my seedlings or something. Yeah, I put my clothes on by then, dear. 
And, uh, and I go stand on our deck, and I usually look out over the valley. I live in Manoa Valley, and, you know, and often there's a rain shower early in the morning, and it washes over me. It's quite nice. But then, then I do my ritual uh, at that moment. After I sort of take it all in, and I get prepared, and I have my, my cup of coffee, uh, what I do is I, I just sort of stand solidly on my feet, and, and I face the chaos of the day. I just sort of face it with my spirit, and then I raise my mug of coffee. Uh, that's it. <laughs> what that is, I mean, that's not really a prayer. It's sort, of a, it's sort of a spiritual acknowledgement. It's just me kind of going, yes, here I am. Let's go. And then I drink it, uh, which, uh, along with Jesus, helps me, helps me get going. And I, and I do that almost every day. And what that is, really, I mean, it's, it's a ritual, but it's not much of a ritual. It's really just me clocking into my day. You know, it's a way for me to be intentional about starting my day, clocking in. I actually think this is a huge deal in life. Are you clocked into life or are you clocked out of life? And some of us are perpetually clocked out of life. Some of us are clocked out of life most of the time. Some of us have pockets in the day where we are clocked in and where we are clocked out. And depending on how we do that, we either engage with life or we miss a heck of a lot of life. Just this ability to clock in when you should be clocked in is huge. I cannot overstate how big a deal that is for your average human being. Sometimes uh, I think the best way to teach people about God is to encourage people to be fully human. You know, a lot of what I do is just to teach people who they are, what it really means to be alive, what it means to be an alive human being, what goes into being human. I think what, what being human is all about, and there's no one definitive answer, but I would characterize it by saying to be human is, is to create with purpose and vulnerability. I think to be human means to try to try to do all of the right things, the things that we know we ought to do, but are so often too scared to do, or too lazy to do, or too discouraged to do, that we lack the faith to do. To work consistently with purpose. That's what it means to be an alive human being. A human is a creative creature of purpose. I believe that down to the bottom of my soul. And the key is to get humans to try at their purpose all the time. You have to get people to clock in. And that is really most of my life. It's most of my job. It's most of my ministry is just trying to get human beings to clock in. Do you know what I mean by that? Just to engage with who they are. You know, succeed or fail, but to engage, to try, to show up, to clock in. And this is pretty much all I do as, as a leader, and in some ways it's, it's pretty much all we've tried to do as, as a church. Uh, Blue Water Mission, we have existed for uh, seven years and more than anything else over the last seven years at Blue Water. I would say that we have tried to build what you might call a community of mission, which has two parts. One is the mission and one is the, the community part. Uh, as to the mission, uh, we try to teach and to embrace and to demonstrate what Jesus called the kingdom mission or, or the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is a, is a fabulously interesting place. 
in characterizing the kingdom of God, we talk a lot about grace. You know, grace, the most foreign concept in all the earth. Uh, but Jesus majored on grace. Uh, he talked about it better than anyone ever had. Uh, and then there's sort of anti-materialism or radical generosity. Jesus taught to be in the kingdom, you have to be free from the world. And the number one way to be free from the world is to be free of money and free from fear or concern about material things. So we talk a lot about that. Uh, then there's, you know, supernaturalism, that if you're going to be part of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, then you don't play by shallow, temporary, earthly rules. You expect miracles. You expect eternity. And that really changes your life. And then uh, you know, one of the, the major planks of living life in the kingdom is that your mission-oriented life is mission. Life is purpose. Life is ministry. And if you're going to participate in the kingdom of God, then you have to be ministering to people. You have to be spreading the kingdom of God. You have to be serving, loving, uh, working in Jesus' name. So that's all the mission part of it. But then there's the community part of it. And, and the main thing we try to do there, and we talk about this kingdom mission, is that we try to convince everyone that they are part of it. Who are the ministers of the church? Yeah, you guys. Everybody gets to play. Or as we say around Blue Water, everybody brings game every day. Everybody has to. That's what it means to be a community, a family, a ohana, a kingdom of priests as we read in the New Testament. You are a minister. Look to your left and your right. That person that you see is a minister. Mildly depressing, yes, but in a way exhilarating, nonetheless. We're it, people. We are it. And so at Blue Water, we've tried to create a non-professional culture. We are not a bunch of professional ministers. We don't use our money to build a professional class of authorized pastors or something like that. We expect, we rely on, we pursue ministry from, from the body. We are all a body part, to use a language that the Apostle Paul used. And we all have to function or we don't work. Or we're not really showing Christ to the world. We are an army, not a restaurant. In an army, everybody fights. At a restaurant, some people serve and the others just sort of sit on their butts and enjoy it. We're, we're more like the army. Uh, or, uh, we could say it this way, we're not engineered for catering, we're engineered for potluck. Right? We're not catering a meal to you today. You all brought something to share. And if we don't do that well, then blue water doesn't work well because we are engineered and designed in a potluck sort of, sort of way. The ministry bubbles up from, from the floor. Uh, people love that, right? Do you love that? And people don't love that at all. Because it's more challenging to go to a potluck than to go to a restaurant. Uh, it's more challenging, you know, to be in an army than to be at a catered function. Uh, the way we do it feels very real. And people often, when they first encounter it, are very excited. And then after a while, it starts to feel very inconvenient. And you want to go back to fill-in-the-blank Christianity. It's just, you know what I mean by that? If you don't, don't worry about it. Uh, I, I sometimes talk about it this way in, in the conversation in, in my head. Oftentimes, we don't want to be participants in life. Oftentimes, we don't want to be par participants in the kingdom of God. We want to be customers. 
in life. And we want to be customers in the kingdom of God. We don't want to build a community. We want to shop for one that works. We don't want to build a marriage. We want to find the perfect spouse. We don't want to make friendships. We want to find cooler people. Right? We don't want to be participants. We want to be customers in life. Right? We don't want to be we don't want to create with purpose. We just want to be satisfied. And that is a huge dividing line in human existence. You can divide people one way or the other. Or, like a lot of us, you sit on the fence and lean one way or another, depending on what day it is. Um, everything in our society encourages us to be customers. Everything in our society encourages us to be consumers. Not too much encourages us to be participants. Not too much in our society encourages us to be fully human to be participants, builders, owners, providers. You know what I'm saying? Do you think that's true? You are trained to be a customer. And it may be that the only thing in your life that trains you to be a participant is Jesus. And that's one of the things that makes the kingdom of God unique. So you should be part of Blue Water Mission, not because it's convenient, God forbid, but because it helps you to participate truly in life. Um, because it helps you to grow and to change so that you can generate growth and change in the world. Because it helps you to be a mission participant. And that's, that's really what we've tried to be about uh, these past seven years. It's hard to be a participant in life. Uh, or as, as we have said sometimes, it's hard to be free in the world. It's hard to be free and purposeful uh, because it involves, indeed, it requires challenge. It, re it requires overcoming that chaos that greets you every morning. No one grows up without challenges. No one becomes who they are unless they are challenged and provoked and have some battles to fight. The, the, the challenge is part of the work. You know? The challenge is really what takes you from being a slave to being a, a, a free person. And we have a long story about that in Scripture. I've printed some passages from it in your, in your bulletin today. It will also be up on the big board. You will recognize these uh, as stories from the book of Exodus. You guys ever read the book of Exodus? You know, like Moses, parting of the Red Sea, that whole business? That's from, that's from the book of Exodus. And what the book of Exodus is about generally is the people of Israel existed as captive slaves within the nation of Egypt. And God starts this mission. He sends his fellow Moses and some of his family uh, to Egypt. And through miracles and whatnot, uh, Moses frees the Israelites out of captivity. So they are no longer enslaved. They are now free people. And he leads them out into the wilderness. And he does that through lots of miracles, through the parting of the Red Sea. He, he frees them from the Egyptian army. It's all, very, it's all very wondrous. And then the hard work starts. Then the people of Israel are in the wilderness. And that's most of the story of Exodus. The first part of the story of Exodus is releasing Israel from oppression. But the bulk of the story of Exodus is the Israelites learning to actually be free people. It's much harder to become free. It's much harder to grow up than it is to, you know, be released or graduate. Uh, and so no sooner 
uh, do the Israelites experience these tremendous wonders, these tremendous miracles. They have just actually passed through the Red Sea in that famous miraculous story. And just, you know, we're just out a few weeks now from captivity, and they're in the wilderness. And here we go. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. So we're just, we're less than a week separated from walking through the sea. All right? They've just had this tremendous experience, but now they're thirsty. Uh, or at least their canteens are running low. And when they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. They're like, ah, oh, here's a stream. Oh, no. It's a poisonous stream. It doesn't taste right. That is why the place is called Mara, which means bitter. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, what are we to drink? Boom! The first sign of trouble and their customers. So they go to their provider, Moses, and they say, this product sucks. What, what are we going to drink? What are you going to do about it? Right? First sign of, of uh, an immature uh, people. Uh, then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. I've, there are places in the Bible that I read as wonderful sarcasm. You know, here it is. You have like thousands of people out in the desert. They have nothing to drink. And so Moses says, Lord, we have nothing to drink. We're dying. And the Lord says, well, there's some wood. Is it just me? I think the Bible I read is more interesting than the Bible you read. I think this is a great sarcastic. Oh, there's some wood, dude. Uh, so he's like, uh, I got wood, guys. And he picks it up, and he throws this special piece of wood into the water. And I think part of this story is like, well, you know, it wasn't special. It w it's just participation. It's just, you know, doing something to be part of, of the solution. That's all the Lord requires oftentimes. He threw it into the water, and the water became fit to drink. Boom, a miracle happens. There the Lord issued a ruling and an instruction for them and, and put them to the test. In other words, he made this an object lesson to his kids. Uh, he said, if you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his degrees, if you do your part, guys, then I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. If you do your part, I'm going to do my part. And you're always going to be fine. Object lesson number one. Going on, uh, in the, the, the very next chapter. Uh, then they came to a limb where there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees. And they camped there near the water. So immediately after that, the Lord takes them to a generous oasis. And they get to kick back for a while. Picking it up in chapter 16. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam. So they left that oasis and came to the desert of Sin which does not mean in Hebrew what it means in, Egypt, in English, but it's, it's a fun place anyway. The desert of sin. Have you ever spent any time there? Oh, yeah. Yeah. The desert of sin. Uh, which is between Elam and Sinai. And on the 15th day of the second month, so in other words, they are about six weeks out from walking through the Red Sea. Right? And, and, and just, just, you know, a, hand, a handful of time out from the miracle of the waters of Mara. They're not very far into this test at all. 
15th day of the second month after they come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. They're back to being restaurant customers. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. In other words, their provisions seem to be running a little low. And so they accuse, you know, the grown-ups, Moses and Aaron, of, of leading them to disaster. Never mind that they've experienced all these great miracles. You know, you get this. It's not that I'm hungry. It's that I'm starving to death and you don't love me. Um, you see that uh, from kids and adults. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. Uh, the people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to pre prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. Some of you will immediately recognize this as the story of manna, right? This, this bread, this, uh, nobody knows exactly what it is. Some say it's just some sort of nutritional fungus that grew on the ground or in bushes. But the Israelites got a lot of their nourishment from then on by just sort of harvesting every, every morning this manna that would appear magically uh, in nature around them. And so uh, they were sustained, fine. And the Lord says, uh, but you're going to have to gather it every day, right? You can't gather it once and just store it up. It's clear that the Lord has designed this in such a way to teach them to clock in daily which is the first lesson you teach to immature people. Hey, you got to get up and go to work. Hey, you have to participate in this thing. You're going to have to paddle if you're going to catch the wave. You know, say it however you want, but it's a fundamental lesson. Clock in. Clock in. You're not here to be customers. You're here to be participants. And you know the rest of the story. The manna sustained them. Picking it up, very next chapter. The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. It's going okay. They, kept it, they camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. No problem. They know this one. They've been through it before. So what are they going to do? So they quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. Oh my gosh, they just learned this lesson. And now they're back at it again. We have no water. Moses, you suck. What are you going to do? Take care of us. We're just going to sit here in our customer chairs and wait to be satisfied. Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? We've been through this, guys. Why do you put the Lord to the test? This is, this is about you and the Lord. You know, he has explained to you how this has worked. You do your part. He does his part. You grow up. But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Mo Moses. They said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? As if that was the reason that they were freed miraculously from slavery. Then Moses cried out to the Lord, what am I to do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. It's worse than ever. They're going to kill me. I don't like this job. The Lord answered Moses, go out in front of the people, take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. I will stand there before you by the rock at Oreb, strike the rock, 
and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel, and maybe you know the rest of the story. He strikes the rock, the rock, the rock splits open, and water gushes out, and the whole nation of Israel gets to drink. Problem solved miraculously yet uh, again. You see, the people of Israel had adopted a narrow slave mentality in Egypt. Their time in Egypt had made them slaves. Uh, and slaves learn uh, only uh, a few narrow things. They worked only because they were forced to work. If you're a slave, that's your attitude, right? If you're a slave, you work because you're forced to work. And secondly, the only purpose they could conceive of as slaves had to do with basic provision, comforts, and security. That's as high as you can think when you're a slave. I just want, I just want a full pot of meat. That's, that's a good life. You know, give me that. I'll work if I have to. Uh, I'll eat as much as I can. I'll be as comfortable as I have to. It's a pretty shallow life. But if you're a slave, that's all you've got. And that's how the Israelites were thinking for generations. And then God set them free, but they still had to grow into freedom. They still had to learn to participate in their life and calling. Just because no one is oppressing you does not mean that you're free. And just because you have free choice does not mean that you're free. You actually have to grow into freedom and learn to use it if you're going to be a free individual. In the very next passage after this, uh, the Israelites have their first battle. They fight a little war against the Amalekites. So progressively, the challenges get harder for them. You know, they're worried about water, they're worried about food, now they're worried about surviving in battle. They gradually grow up through greater and greater challenges. And that's true for us too, but the goal remains the same. Are you engaging? Are you participating? Or are you just a slave and a customer? waiting for someone to serve you or rescue you in life. God was developing them to be participants because that's what it takes to be free. That's what it takes to be human. That's what it takes to be free and purposeful in life. The Israelites were released, but they thought freedom was about getting to be customers, getting more options instead of getting more purpose. Are you following me? You got it? You get the point? Some, event, some Israelites eventually learned to be who they were. It was always a struggle. That's really the story of the rest of the Old Testament. Read it. It's a great book. And the same thing is true for the people of God today. You know, we have been set free, but we struggle to grow up and, and be participants in our freedom. As his people today, we've all come to understand, at least in theory, that we have a mission to accomplish in life. Life is mission. Life is purpose. Life is ministry. We're not supposed to be grumbling customers. We're supposed to be participating warriors and solution builders. That's how we grow to be fully human. All right, so if I've done my job well at Blue Water Mission over the last seven years, then I should be able to like vanish, go away, get hit by a bus, whatever, go on surf safari, and, and nothing really would change because everyone would just be participating in their purpose, participating in their, their function in the body. I almost said bodily function, but that sounds bad. <laughs> the function in the, in the body. And, and Blue Water won't miss a beat uh, because we are a community of mission, right? We're a community of participants, right? 
Fantastic. All right, so I'm going on sabbatical. <laughs> Not joking. I actually am. Um, I'm, I'm taking off. I'm taking off some time. I had a heck of a couple of years here. So I have been granted some extended uh, vacation. I'm going to uh, not be here for, for at least a few months, uh, which uh, is good news for me and probably good news for you. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's just a, it's a, it's a great time of fruitfulness, I think, in our community. Um, we have been talking uh, in, in leadership circles about what will be required for success and fruitfulness during my absence. Uh, the first thing I suggest is, well, it'll probably be a lot easier without me. Yes? See, I give you, I give you wide open doors for sarcasm and insults, and you don't take it. I feel like my discipleship has counted for nothing. <sighs> uh, it's also a chance for people to, uh, to step into uh, new jobs. Uh, the, the big questions we've gotten as it's been, you know, announced that I'm going to disappear for a while is, okay, number one, who's going to do the sermons? Uh, and number two, uh, where, where am I going to go for, for counseling if I get into trouble? Uh, where am I going to go for emergencies? Uh, we've already planned out uh, a, a couple of great uh, sermon series, and you're going to see some familiar faces up here, but the ministry is basically going to come from the floor like it always does, and you will hear probably about the very same kingdom mission you've been hearing about uh, for a long time, but you're going to hear about it in fresh voices with fresh experiences and, and fresh stories and fresh jokes. Uh, so that will probably be wonderful. Uh, and uh, we have rather you know, robust uh, counseling uh, resources and emergency resources. Uh, if, if nothing else, if something is going wrong in your life, you should all pile on TJ. Because... Uh, He's going, to be, he's going to be acting senior pastor, and uh, and he can take it. He's resilient. He's young, um, so you should totally do that. Uh, and then, uh, you know, we are working to, uh, to build up uh, counseling resources uh, throughout the church. Last week, I introduced you Larissa Marks, who's going to be doing a ministry of spiritual direction. Uh, but uh, you know what the, the first line of pastoral care is in the church? Yeah, small groups. Small groups. And it, and it just so happens that right now we're starting a new Ohana group series, uh, which means you should all be in one. If you, if you are leading one of the Ohana groups in the winter, spring uh, semester, why don't you stand up? If you are an Ohana group leader, stand up. All, all of y'all. Just, just stand there for a moment so that you can all get targeted. Yeah, I, I know that there are some Ohana group leaders that for some reason are not standing up, either because they're very smart or very shy. Uh, but, you know, the, the ministry always bubbles up from the floor. And, and, and there you go. Uh, just, just for fun. If you're on the core team, uh, these are the people that lead the various ministries teams. Stand up. You'll see some overlap there.
No problem. Uh, we got plenty of ministers uh, around. And uh, just remember some of those faces. Uh, no, no, no one uh, should miss a beat. Uh, but you know what? I tend to think about it this way. Uh, Blue Water is really not so much an organization. It's not so much a structure. Blue Water is a culture. One thing I notice about Jesus, he did some tremendous ministry, but he did not build a structure, did he? He did not build an organization. He built individuals. I think the most you could say is that he built a culture. What is culture? Well, it's harder to define than structure is. A culture is, a, is some big things, but it's mostly little things. It's values and expectations and attitudes and things like that. And this is, this is why Jesus lived, you know, it's because he needed to display kingdom culture, kingdom values, what it looked like in daily practice. And Jesus did that for us, and hopefully we've done some of that as Blue Water Mission uh, as well. It's, it's, not, it's not the job functions I worry about. It's not the teaching. It's not, you know, even like the formal counseling. It's not even the Ohana group leading uh, that I think most about. It's, it's the culture. It's the atmosphere. It's the fabric of the church that I think makes a community strong. The only thing we need for success is the only thing the people have God, of God have ever needed. We just need everyone to clock in. We just need everyone to participate. It's a participatory culture. It's what the Israelites had a hard time understanding. It's what the disciples of Jesus had a hard time understanding at the beginning. They thought Jesus was just going to be this magic Messiah. Instead, he was a spiritual leader and empowerer. Just need everyone to clock in. That's, that's a cultural thing. So here are some things that we could do to get culture to happen. Um, we need some big things to happen, but mostly we need small things to happen. We need the fabric to be strong. We need everyone to clock in. So these are some ways that you can clock in. Number one, encouragement. Every time we come together, as, as a body of Christ, every time you get into an Ohana group, every time you come to a su Sunday service, uh, really every time you get out of bed in the morning, you should be an encouragement to other people. Uh, I think this is one of the fundamental ministries. You know why? Because everybody in the world is afraid, and they're all looking for courage. There's one thing everybody needs, it's courage. And so we encourage you should be an encouraging tone in every life around you. Just saying vague, encouraging words can be a huge deal. It can do wonders. You know, you can say things like, hey, way to go. You might not even know what the person is doing, but it's, it's great to see you. What is that? That's an overstatement, but it's an encouragement. It says... It says, you're worthwhile, you know? You can say, hey, you're, you're looking great, you know? That is either slimy come on or a really encouraging thing to say. It's like, huh, look up. Huh, hey, nice to see you. Looking good, right? So let's try it. We're going to take 10 seconds, turn to the person on your left and the person on your right, and say something vaguely encouraging. It's not hard. Just go for it. Go for it. Hey, wait, wait, way to go. 
You're not, you know, sitting next to you is not as bad as I thought. Here's a hug. We can do this. You know what we're doing right now? You know what we're doing? You know what we're doing? We're clocking in. We're participating in courage. That's what we're doing. We can all do that. That's fun. All right. You know, you know, what, you know what else is great? Optimism is great. Optimism is a powerful cultural element. Optimism is, is positive faith. It's, it's confidence. You know what the word confidence means? Confide. It means literally with faith. When you do something with faith. Optimism is the kind of faith that is faith no matter what. You know, no matter what's going on, you're bringing faith. You know? No matter how bad a job TJ does, You're optimistic about what's going to happen in the next moment. Encourage TJ. He works with me. He needs the encouragement. Huh. If encouragement is, hey, it's good, then optimism is, it's going to be great. It's going to be great. And, and, and that's actually a kingdom value. You know, what, whatever happens, I, I still got my faith. You know, whatever happens, I'm still going to try the next thing as if it's going to actually work. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's resilience. Um, faith no matter what. Uh, the greatest heroes still need a lot of help. And, and optimism is, is one way that, that we help them. Go to any any sporting event and watch the stands. We all know this instinctively. I just wish to God we would do it at church. Uh, number, number, number three, uh, intentional fellowship. This is the last point. I know, I know we've gone long today, but you can blame those babies. Oh, oh, we can't blame babies. They're really cute. And I wish people felt that way about me. Yeah. He's, he's a bit of a drag, but look at those cheeks. <laughs> Intentional fellowship. Have you heard this, that the kingdom of God is a relational place? Have you heard that God is a relational God? He's really into relationship. Well, you know, one way to participate in that is to actually make relationships. And one really easy way to clock in when making relationships is, is to is to make just one fellowship appointment with someone new. Just make one. You know, I, I try to do it like one, once a month, which, you know, is not very much, uh, but I have a lot of relationships to keep up. If, if you just made one appointment to hang out with someone you don't know very well, once a month you would change the world. Just making friends instead of having friends. Huge! That's how we clock in. Make uh, an intentional fellowship appointment with someone new. Make sure that it is not a core minister. Uh, because they have lots of, of uh, relationships that they need to, to keep up on. There are lots of, of new people in the church. How many people here have been at Blue Water less than a year? 
So you can take three months and, and make friends with these people. You know, they might not want to make friends with you. Make the appointment anyway. <laughs> be encouraging, be optimistic, it'll be fine. One, seriously, if you did this one, once every two months, if you did this six times a year, you would build community. Which is, which is what we do. We, sometimes we call it community church, sometimes we call it Ohana groups or small groups. Jesus built a community of 12, changed the world. That's all you gotta do. Uh, so that's one way to, to clock in and imagine the culture that this would support. Imagine if everybody came, just, let's just talk about Sunday. If everybody came on Sunday and was encouraging to everyone they met, optimistic about what was gonna happen if they brought the faith, and then said, got to know one person or invited one person to their small group or one person to lunch or one person for a hike. Imagine what kind of culture that would be. And that's not hard at all to do those things, is it? Be encouraging. That's not hard. Uh, so uh, what I ask you to be in my absence is really what Jesus asked us to be at the very beginning. Be culture carriers. Carry the culture of the kingdom uh, forward. Change environments. Pass on a culture. If we could get a large number of people just to do these simple things, we'd revolutionize uh, our city uh, very quickly. But you don't do these things unless you decide firmly to do them, unless you have some sort of ritual for clocking in. Then you probably won't. You have to come up with a way to engage. It can be simple and ridiculous like my way is, but you got to decide to do it. You actually have to try. What would prevent it? Well, maybe you live life filled with so much inertia, so much immobility that you just can't do anything. Confess that to someone and have them help you. Join a small group and they will get you going. That's what our small groups do. Maybe you're just too cool to try things like this. Uh, that may be no, nobody here is too cool, so that's not going to be a problem. Maybe you have one of those mentalities of, of just being overwhelmed in life. You just, you're just too overwhelmed. There's more chaos in your life than there is in mine. Uh, and you just you have built a personality around being overwhelmed or something. Uh, may, maybe, maybe so, but you're here today, and you've given God a window, and so at the very least, when you're at church, do this, and then you can go back to your life of overwhelmed chaos later. And then this will be an hour of transformation for you. Or maybe you just have a customer mentality instead of a participant mentality, in which case the kingdom of God will never feel good to you. You'll always be dissatisfied. Who wants to be a customer? Who wants to be a participant? Just asking for some uh, small things.